0: We're back with another episode of the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 179. 179. Uh, joining me today uh, with Ryan Ray is David Ramston Wood. He is a LinkedIn refugee. Um, as many of you know, he was uh, kicked off of uh, LinkedIn, uh, I guess that was several weeks
1: ago now, David. Like
0: six, six weeks now. Wow. Time's flying, man.
1: Well, Hold on. Wait, wait, let's be fair. You're not officially banned. You're just like... the the, the
2: phrasing is indefinitely restricted so um you know that might be i we are sending some legal letters this week
1: (laughs) oh oh so you're 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 going after it huh
2: well yeah i mean and we can talk about that i know that wasn't the primary purpose (laughs) but uh you know in the last six weeks and certainly since we last spoke we saw the new york post get banned on twitter we saw lots of lots of sites get brought down. Mm-hmm. We've seen Twitter add the flag that as has LinkedIn that says this is potentially false information. And, and I think the problem with that is then now, if you don't see that flag, you can assume that it must therefore be true. Right. And so there's going to be now like this incremental now you might not even take things with a grain of salt. So um, there, there's a couple things that we'll raise in the letter that we can talk about later, but yeah, we're, we're going to go after the, the legal route.
1: And, and if you're not familiar, we have uh, did an interview. Right after you get kicked off in the war room newsletter, you can go read that. I wrote up a little piece about my thoughts on it. Um, I ought to say this, but only and you, you go after them. Um, my only question is I've heard a lot of the bigger names like Crowder or Shapiro. And they always talk like, well, if someone were to just sue them, this would all go away. And yet they never seem to be the ones that are suing them and winning, which makes me wonder if the legal battle is um, really as attainable as they make it out to be. Because I've heard Crowder and those guys, they'll get their little lawyer on their like, Oh Yeah, you know, if you just sued them, they, they couldn't hold up in court. And it's like, well, and go sue them and make this all go away. Um, and they don't. And so anyway, I, I do wish you the best of luck, obviously, but I would just I would just real quick. I would be concerned if you do get it overturned, they might censor your post to where <laughs> you can access it, but but no one ever sees it because they'd like, you know, shadow ban you.
2: Yeah. And, and let's, let's be clear in the world of legal avenues, there's a difference between suing and having lawyers write letters that reference things. I mean, right. the, the acknowledgement, I think realistically is these are private platforms. And as we saw a debate in Congress, under Section 230, they can either be afforded the protections of liability protection, which, which include the fact they don't censor anybody, mm-hmm. or they cannot, and then they can censor whoever they wish. Mm-hmm. You just can't have it both ways, and in this particular case, as you know, the, the, the violating posts were not egregious. They were not, by any stretch of the words, uh, false information. And so it was a judgment call based on a procedural thing. So we're just elevating it to the next level to allow the boss of the boss to perhaps weigh in and say, perhaps maybe this was not an appropriate banning.
1: Okay, well, but we wish you the best of luck. We'll link to some of that stuff in the show notes so if the listeners aren't familiar with why they're not seeing hot take of the day. Uh, I do see the free D, hashtag free DRW on LinkedIn from time to time. I obviously share it and see other people sharing it. So um hope to get you back. If nothing else, just to just to go back and stir the pot because uh, no one stirred it quite like you did, which which is why I wanted to get you on the show. So we had a roundtable two months ago now, I guess, with uh, yourself yeah. and Ellen and Anas and David Blackman. It's free on YouTube now, so folks, go watch that. And I think in the time you said Exxon stock i't do misquote you is about ten dollars is where you thought it should go um and since then it's it's climbed all the way down to thirty 36 yeah thirty two dollars so yeah,
2: thirty two until until covid vaccine news this morning um it was 32 i think everything is up ridiculous yeah, right
1: so um i, I kind of want to unpack that because um we didn't get a lot of time in, in that in that round table to talk about that um and exxon's been beat, getting beat up on a lot since then so what are your thoughts on Exxon? Obviously they, they kicked off the Dow, um, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of down out on, on their luck. And it seems like the news keeps getting worse for them. Is this a, um, a, a long-term thing for Exxon or can they turn it around in the next six months to a year, but they got a lot more pain to go through uh, kind of break down why you think they're only worth $10 a share?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of come, I kind of come back to basics and, Um, So I'm going to bring up a concept that was one of the things that on Twitter got me in trouble uh, about a year ago, Um, and it's called smog, which is people, accountants know, but it's the standardized measure of oil and gas. And every company is required to publish once a year in their annual report, they're required to publish uh, a valuation using a flat SEC price deck and running a development model. And so uh, the, the develop, the price deck is developed to use the average price of the first day of each month. So January 1st, February 1st, March 1st, et cetera. You take that average and that's the price. Every company has to run their valuation model at that price. So then a company chooses what PUDs work, what, what doesn't, what timing, et cetera, et cetera. And they do a drill out model. Most companies are allowed to, bu- well, they're allowed to book uh, five years, most companies do. There's some exceptions to that. Pioneer being one, EQT being another. But Exxon had booked six years worth of capital. And when you run their price deck in their own disclosures and use a relative valuation for their, their refining business, um, at $55 flat and 257 gas, they were worth 18 and 50 a share. Uh, And people could argue, well, look, they have 15 years of reserves and and they're not booking everything. Yeah, you could. But you could also argue that a 10% discount rate is very low. And then on top of that, oil, um, if you look at the SEC price for 2020, it looks like it's going to be $40 and $1.95, which means that for all intents and purposes, every US reporter will basically have to write off 100% of their PUDs. And their, their smog value is going to be their PDP at 40 flat. You net debt against that divide by share count. There's no there's no juice, there's no equity, there's no returns for these guys. Um, and so that's, that's the fundamental thesis on why these guys are still trading massively overvalued. And on a day to, like today, where oils jumped to $40 because of a COVID vaccine, uh, I think you really have to think about what the long term viability of the of the and p model is right now and for the coming two or three years
1: so you, you mentioned the low price and and one of the things that you said on the on the roundtable kind of struck me was you were kind of bullish on oil because you felt like the price was gonna be good this year, obviously pre pandemic um, and because of that, you know a lot of these struggling producers were going to be able to survive. Obviously, that didn't happen. um and so we're bad. But we started to kind of see uh m I know you you cover that a lot on your on your website um and Josh and I've been kind of talking about this it's we were kind of thinking it might happen a little bit later into the year uh closer to the end of the year or into next year before you start to see this pick up but it's starting to pick up does that how do you balance that with this kind of okay you know prices are low we expect to be low next year maybe even the next year right to see the vaccine might change stuff might not but um how does that kind of work into this larger thesis of um you know the 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 U.S. EMP model might be broken and and then also with Exxon
2: so, so, I mean, the, the M&A, let's be clear, the M&A is, is taking stock for stock. And so we've seen Chevron and Noble, we've seen Conoco and Concho, we've seen, uh, the, you know, other than the asset deal that was uh, EQT for Chevron's Appalachian market, everything's paper. So it's a relative valuation game. And in a relative valuation game, you can make a lot of arguments for why companies should come together. Devin and WPX is another one. But in terms of the fundamental, and I, I, I did a post on this um, a couple weeks ago. I'm going to bring it up just because I think it's worth it's worth reviewing. If you look at Exxon in the first half of 2020, they generated six billion dollars from operations. They spent 11.5 billion dollars on capital, and they paid seven and a half billion dollars of dividends. So 11.5 plus seven and a half is 18. And they had 6.3 billion of operations cash flow. So in the first half of the year, when the average price was around the same prices today, they were negative cash flow, of like 11, 12 billion dollars. So how did they pay for that? They increased debt. And so yes, I concur. Exxon is one of those companies that can that can loan money very cheaply. But at some point you have to pay debt back unless you're the U.S. government. And at some point, your program has to generate a positive rate of return. And I'm just not convinced that at $40 oil, that that you can generate sustained long-term excess rates of return over the cost of capital. And so unless you truly have a view that the, the decline in the U.S. takes out so many companies but leaves the few... And then oil surges strongly to 50 or 60 to make the program work, I don't see how you have a bullish scenario for one or two years. And people always say the market looks forward. But we came into the pandemic in January at S&P all-time highs. We were 3,400. The economy had cracks in it. Everyone knows the economy had cracks in it. Then we shut down the economy, bled out American savings, drove up the debt and the deficit, have driven interest rates to zero. Now we have a virus vaccine and everyone's like, oh, the market should keep going up. Th- that to me feels very frothy.
0: Yeah, so I, I know the, the vaccine, uh, res- that information that came out on that, I believe it was last night or this morning. And you see the stocks going up, you see uh, oil price even starting to, to jump a little bit. With what looks like to be a Biden presidency on the horizon, uh, even with a vaccine, his presidency—what are we? I mean, what are you thinking in terms of oil price, twelve-month projection? Uh, do you think we're going to see um, a lot more activity out in West Texas, or do you think we're we're probably um, going to slow step this thing for you know the next six to twelve months?
2: Um, great question. Uh so. I mean, whether it was the Biden presidency or the Trump presidency, from a practical standpoint, the energy industry, oil and gas in particular, was going to be in the same place. We don't have a commodity price that's fundamentally strong enough to support development. And so as we've seen, we've seen rigs drop and frat crews drop. And in the last six weeks, for those in West Texas and those in in Appalachia, they'll know we've seen an increase in frat crews. But that's because going into year end, nobody wants to show how big their declines are. So they want to bring on a whole slug of production for December. So it looks like their exit to exit declines are nowhere near as bad as they really are. So that's just window dressing. Um, The Biden presidency, the risk obviously is twofold. Number one, what is the study stay moratorium on fracking and fracking on federal lands? Um, and, And even if he doesn't ban it, but he studies it or he delays it, it will reduce capital to the companies that have significant um, uh, federal land that obviously impacts a lot in Wyoming, it impacts New Mexico, it impacts Texas, less so. So, um, we will, there will be some activity uncertainty. To me, the biggest driver, regardless of president, is the world consumed 100 million barrels a day of crude, right now we estimate the world is consuming 90. So the world is matched. OPEC has cut 3 million barrels a day. The U.S. has declined. Sorry, OPEC's cut seven. The U.S. has declined three. So there's your 10 million. But between March and May, the world overproduced about a billion and a half barrels of crude that were put in storage somewhere. Now, if you've pulled that down a little, okay, I'll buy that. But there's still a billion barrels that are in tankers and in tanks and all around that need to be sold back to the world before we reach equilibrium. And OPEC still has 7 million barrels a day of supply that they have kept off the market until those factors work through, which is a year. I don't see a compelling case for oil to go materially above where it is right now. 41, 42 today because of COVID. I really thought we were going to exit this year at 30 Um, 35 was my bet two months ago, but it looked like it was going to be 30. So I kind of see H1 being a $35 to $38 WTI price and H2 being probably a $39 to $42 price, at which point all the supply is sort of off the market and inventories are clear. And then oil has somewhere to go uh, based on fundamentals.
1: So one of the things I'm kind of concerned about, and you, you alluded to it, was these false signals that the market is getting. Um the the Fed's pumped. Uh Dean Foreman on uh, Ellen and I show has said that the, the global central banks have put in I think it's fifteen trillion dollars into the market. And um, you know, I, I hadn't looked at this recently, but up until about a month ago, uh there was only four companies on the S P five hundred that were actually up for the year. And yet the SP was was doing really well. <laughs> it's like and everyone else is losing money. So the market really is uh is is out of kilter in a lot of ways. Um one of the things I've been talking about is, is the emerging markets haven't gotten a lot of attention. And there's a reason for that, I think, is because when you start talking about people starving in third world countries because they did COVID lockdowns, you really had to ask the question of, was this lockdown the right thing to do? Yeah. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of money pumped into the emerging markets, which will, again, kind of uh, distort the signal. Um, maybe the large infrastructure projects, maybe not, I don't know. But I'm kind of concerned if you're an oil and gas EMP company sitting here and you're, you're listening to us, two months go by and all of a sudden – you know Biden gets in, um, and next thing you know, we're we're, we're you know, large Africa projects, South America projects, um, and the economy's looking a lot better than what it is. Um, would you advise them to maybe just to kind of pump the brakes, even if things, you know, two three months from now they look like they're going up to the right, just to pump the brakes just a little bit to let things kind of uh, kind of uh, lay uh, not lay low but even out before they they start drilling a bunch. Right.
2: I mean, yes, and 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 to me. There, there's a lot of signals that are being that are being covered and and so i follow you know paul Sankey's he's a great guy um, mark Rossano's a great guy there's a lot of really smart analysts that are out there a big bull thesis for oil is inflation or hyperinflation and you can't have inflation which is the fed's goal without having commodity inflation and so there are those in that camp that say oil should be 50 simply because of the devaluing of the us dollar now To me, to be intellectually honest, if you believe in the devaluing of the U.S. dollar and hyperinflation or extreme inflation, that has a whole bunch of bad ramifications on top of it. But if that's your bull case, that's where you go. For U.S. EMPs, if that's where we're going, why start drilling today versus drilling in six or nine months when this inventory level has come come down and there's a more sustained and fundamental driver. Now, I appreciate that, you know, and, and um, a couple of the Energy Fintwit guys had done some coverage on the uh, WPX Devon deal. And the observation was that there was a significant premium being offered 11, seven days before they actually accepted the Devon deal. And then it was driven by, you know, severance packages and ongoing employment and stuff. So when management teams have different drivers than shareholders, you see bad bad behavior in terms of ramping up. My recommendation, as it's been since November 2018, is pay down debt, don't grow production, drop rigs, manage your balance sheet, and then when things look rosy, be able to step in then.
1: So um, you talk about inventories going down. Yeah. Um how comf- confident are you that the market has a good grasp of where we're at with the amount of oil that's in supply so the amount of supply has grown and grown and grown and grown over these past few years um and you've seen where you know things that used to really move the market don't really bump the needle that much anymore um right. as we come out of the pandemic um some of the vaccine works and all that and you know we're in you know april uh, may june um and the, the market starts to shift how good of a grasp does the market actually have on how much barrels are, are being produced, A, and then how much is in storage? Because as Anas pointed out, you know, there's a lot of oil coming out of Iran that's not really being calculated into a lot of these numbers that you see. And I think he said it's, what, uh, two million barrels a day. I think we said on there, I can't remember. That yeah. That's not really being calculated for So So um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I've, I've often wondered about, about how accurate those numbers are and um, how much we can trust them, especially with all the storage that was built over the past, you know, six months. I mean, I think that
2: the U.S. numbers, I think, are very solid. They come from the EIA. There's a lot to work on. Um, I think that there's a pretty good handle on the number of tankers on the ocean. And the last I saw, there was about 160 million barrels of floating storage. I think that that's a number you can count on. I don't think we have very good numbers in China. Um, And so, again, I just do a, a material balance. And so people would say, well, tell me where the oil is. And the answer is, I don't know. What I know was that March 15th, the world wasn't driving and demand was down as much as 35 million barrels a day. But even if you use 20, I think we can all agree. And that OPEC didn't cut production until May. And so no one responded for 45 days and 45 days times 20 uh, million barrels a day, even at the low end is 900 million barrels. That oil is somewhere and we haven't ever exceeded demand has not exceeded supply at any point since COVID started. So I can't tell you where it is. I just know that some bank or some NOC or some government owns it. And as oil comes to 41, 42, 43, if that's what COVID does, you're going to leak three, four, five, six, seven million barrels back in the market. And refineries are still running at 75%. So. The vaccine news today says that by the end of November, they'll have 50 million doses, which is 25 million people, which they can administer this year. And the logistics are you need minus 80 to be able to store it. OK, so there's 7.8 billion people in the world. And even if you look at the, the, the countries that consume, there's 3 billion people. So how are we going to vaccinate 3 billion people and instantaneously go back to 100 million barrels a day of demand when no one has savings? Those are the questions that I don't think that we've really answered and that the algorithms just buy stock because.
1: Right. So on the, on the, um, I'll try to find this link to it in the show notes, but there was a story back in May when there was no hope of a, of, a, of a vaccine anytime soon. And it was some liberal outlet and they were talking about a vaccine and how long it would take to actually distribute it I think they said you got to distribute to 65% of the population to have herd immunity, something like that. And they just did the math on how, how long it would take to actually distribute it. I think they said 2024-ish, 2025, I can't remember, um, It's how long it is to take to distribute it. And then they went to, uh, it was a whole deal about you know, social justice and who gets it first. That, that was really their point, but they were just talking about how long it would take. So to your point, I think when you look at the, the about how long it would take to, to uh, produce it and then distribute it, um, it's quite a while. Now that's assuming places like China actually tell the truth about who they give it to and who they don't give it to. Because you know, China might say, <laughs> Yeah, you know, we've given it to, you know, a third of our population or two thirds of our population, and they really not. So you you had to kind of bounce that that in as well because um uh whatever you think about the COVID numbers, on we, we I think we all should admit that they're wrong because place like India or Brazil, um, we have no idea how I many have died from what we're calling COVID related deaths, um, right. because they're not testing there as much. Um And uh, here in America, we're we're calling everyone who dies a COVID-related death. So it's kind of hard to balance out where the number is. Um, But I'm a little bit more optimistic that we're closer to herd immunity just because we've kind of lived through it than maybe some are. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think, look, definitively, a vaccine with
1: 90%
2: potential effectiveness, even if it doesn't last that long, is going to give people confidence. Now, we know the flu vaccine, going back to 2011, had a 19 to 60 percent effectiveness ratio and that's i think because the flu you know i'm obviously not a virologist but it the the flu changes and so they guess based on the southern hemisphere which ones are going to be bad and then they make a concoction and sometimes they miss so 90 percent seems great uh but they don't know how long it lasts they don't know how it works in different ages um regardless of the numbers <sighs> I still think it's aggressive to be so bullish at this point, especially since the primary reason the stock market is anywhere near where it is, is the fed and the fed buying things like Apple bonds, which make no sense because Apple didn't need the help. So you have small businesses, small restaurants that are being impacted by capacity and regardless of the mask mandate or not walk me through. And again, you know, There was all these complaints by the media that Notre Dame stormed the field students, 11,000 students who go to school together, hang out together, and in the pictures were actually wearing masks, stormed the field, but then 11,000 Biden supporters who are also kind of wearing masks, that's good and sporting events are bad, or You know, you can go in a restaurant and then take your mask off for two hours and sit with 12 people, and then you have to leave, but you can only have 25% capacity. Those are the rules that kill small business. They don't kill big business. That's where we're going to have to balance in the next 30 days of even if the vaccine isn't available, do we take restrictions off, say, if you're scared, wear a mask, otherwise just live your life. I don't know how this all comes up, especially with a president potentially changing from a Trump presidency to a Biden presidency over the next 60 days.
1: Yeah. So a couple of quick things on that one. Um, you, you don't understand. I know you're not educated. So let me educate you. we we removed an authoritarian. And so it's okay to celebrate when you're removing an authoritarian, despite the fact that we voted him out through a democratic process. People are like, well, we removed an authoritarian. It's like, I, I don't think you know what that word means. Um, so I just want to correct you there so that we're being, we're being PC. Um, two. Uh, on the mask stuff, um you know, you, you talk about flying before we got on. You know, I've, I've been flying a lot because I've been going around. Take the mask off, you get your food, you sit there for, you know, an hour, you know, slow drinking your food, eating on the plane. And it's like, there's no social distance here, you know, because you are next to the, someone on the plane. So no one believes in the mask. That's my current belief. No one really believes in the mask. If they do, they stay at home because they're scared to get out. um And then to your point about the vaccine, let's say that it does work and it's 90%. The drum that I'm beating, or we'll start beating is if this is true, we should never fear a pandemic again, because we have built a vaccine in warp speed time to use Trump's terms, which means that we should never, ever, 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 ever we should done, we should have done it then and we never should do it again because we can, we can now do vaccines in 12 months or less. So therefore please never shut down anything ever again, because the worst you're at the door is, uh, you know, 12 months that. So I, I think that people are kind of getting, you know what? What will Biden do? I don't know, but I'm trying to kind of get work on the messaging now. It's like, okay, hey, if we actually did this, then by God, we're never shutting down again.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and again, like, and I, there's so much contention around this issue, and and I think that we just need to sit back and and like really debate the points. There was a lemming mentality around the world that China did lockdowns and then it got bad in Italy and then Italy did lockdowns and then it got bad in France and then France did lockdowns and then California did lockdowns before it was bad. And then New York did lockdowns. And so every kind of democratic state followed it. And once you've committed to that path, like it became political, obviously. But once you've committed to a path as a as a elected official who's terrified about reelection. They couldn't have come back out in June and be like, okay, nothing's changed, but we were wrong. Sorry. We're, we're, masks do work, but we're going to have all the restrictions gone, which would be intellectually honest. Or what's different about being in stadiums today than there was in, in May or June? You know, so we know some more. So we just haven't been consistent. I, I really hope that we have a much more balanced media. And I hope that what comes out of this is people totally and utterly distrust mainstream media because they're being sold an agenda not news and we need better data I mean even the election right think about the number of data scientists that were built from COVID that they were looking at election trends and county by county and everyone was just saying you know what I don't trust what you're saying give me the numbers and I'll do it myself I think we need to be a trust but verify kind of society from here heretofore
0: yeah, I think that that touches on something that um, I've, I've been thinking about. So with the election that's going on, it's hard for me to tell if uh, you know there's all these claims of voter fraud uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and it's hard for me to tell if if that is from. So on one side, you would say that Trump planned to bring up this voter fraud as a way of um, undermining Biden's legitimate election. On the other side. You have news reports that um, voter fraud is going on, but all of that's being censored, and Twitter, Facebook, all over the media is being censored. And you don't know which one really to believe because you don't have legitimate journalism that you can go and look at to see if you can get an unbiased report. So you're, you're left trying to go through all of these different uh, perspectives, and it's hard to come up with, um, I mean, even verifying some of this is very difficult. And in the media, that's kind of what we're all faced with right now is that everyone is pushing an agenda, the right side and the left side. And we're left trying to figure out which one is actually telling the truth. Well, and everyone wants to jump to
2: like the narrative they're familiar with. So if, if, you're, if you don't believe in the COVID vaccine because you don't think you need it or you've never had the flu shot, they call you an anti vacker If you say COVID's not that serious, they call you a COVID denier. Um, and on, on, on the election, look, Scott Adams, I thought, had a really nice piece. He's the author at Dilbert. He did a sort of an hour podcast. And I won't go through the whole thing because it was a little bit repetitive. But his basic point was, if you believe that Trump is Hitler, which many of the left do, the authoritarian, Ryan, when you fix that, if you believe Trump is Hitler and you have a democratically opportun- a democratically elected opportunity to get rid of Hitler Would you cheat? I think the answer he said was, of course. Is there opportunity? Uh, Yes, you can get ballots and you can stuff. I mean, you can change programming. There's lots of things you can do. So if there was opportunity and motive, then all you need to find is one person who'd be willing to go to jail to do it. Is that likely? It's certainly possible. But Then everyone says, oh, you don't believe the election. You don't this, you don't that. I will tell you this. Going into the election on Monday, I was in Oklahoma City, and I was playing a golf tournament, and some people came up and said, who wins the election tomorrow? And I said, if you made me bet my entire net asset value on one candidate, I'm picking Biden. Because everything that I knew and everything about the hatred around Trump from the left, there was no way Trump was going to win. The shocking thing was that in spite of all of that, 70 million people voted for Trump because they disagree with the Democratic platform. And so that's the piece that gets lost in this, is that, that you know, he came so close. And is there fraud? There's probably some. Is it going to change the election? No. But is it a strong mandate for the Democratic Party to go do whatever they want? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, so on, on that, you know, I talk in the newsletter about um, narrative over uh, – nuance over narrative and narrative over nuance. And so the media likes to paint a narrative, and they just kind of ride that narrative out, and they don't ever want to nuance out their points. Um, and that, that's part of what we saw with this election was, you know, Biden was very – my prediction was 269-269 because I was trying to balance out all of these mixed signs. And so I had Biden flipping Arizona wisconsin and michigan um so i got those three right where i messed up was i did not see him winning pennsylvania and georgia especially georgia um and so you know i I, and that was just trying to trying to balance out you know all these conflicting reports and like you say you have these huge trump rallies and people out there and they're standing the cold and then you have this huge mail-in ballot campaign and and the polls and trying to figure out you know how do you look to a lot of and so now that Biden looks – I agree to your point, which is, um, did voter did voter fraud happen? The answer is yes, because voter fraud is a very broad term, and so it did happen. Did it happen enough to change the election? Um, I, probably not. I, there's no evidence right now that I've seen to support that. Everything I've seen, if you do about 30 seconds of Googling, doesn't really hold up. So maybe the Trump campaign has something they're going to release. If so, Americans should be willing to hear that because you don't want um, – a a fraudulent election that's what we've been told the last four years is that russia meddled meddled. and and that's kind of the frustration i think for a lot of americans is you know russia meddling in the election whatever that means which i'm still not sure they bought some facebook ads um you know americans should be what we should want to hear the evidence um but to your point about the mandate uh, there's amongst us libertarians there's there's a discussion about the mandate and what it means um and you know, did Trump really have a mandate last time if you look at how many votes he won in the swing states in the in the battleground states um, did he really have a mandate and does does Biden really have a mandate and i don't think either way they do because not enough americans are actually voting in the process that they, they don't feel strong enough for it to have a true mandate but i will say i am concerned um does the word fracking and does oil and gas actually have a mandate in the country because Biden did win Pennsylvania, and that was kind of a shocking thing because there was the Trump campaign pounded hard on this fracking message, and you know he still he still persevered there. So, are you concerned? Maybe we'll kind of wrap it up with this. But are you kind of, kind of concerned that maybe the oil and gas industry needs to spend, in my opinion, it's a two year race because you got the midterms coming up. The next two years, really pounding home that we save lives. That's that's always what I said for years. Is that when I've been in D.C. and talking to these, these kind of progressives. You know, they're like, oh, I'm concerned about the environment. I said, well, what percentage of the stuff do you see came from oil and gas? They're like, oh, I don't know, 10%, 20%, 30%. I'm like, how about 100? And they're like, oh, okay. Well, you know, healthcare is really important. <laughs> but the next two years, how do we really message it? Because uh, I think that's really the race now. Yeah. Well, so so
2: um, I don't want to sound like I'm defeated in this one. Uh, the The narrative, until consumers feel the pain, You know, even when I raised there's a there's a book that was written by Gregory Wrightstone and some people I respect on Twitter were just going crazy when I said what he wrote in the book, which is he wrote inconvenient facts. And one of the things he says is CO2 is a miracle gas and that the warming of the planet leads to more plant growth. Plant growth leads to more food Um, then you're bringing people out of poverty. We very clearly from COVID and very clearly from our, our policy on climate change, we are not comfortable with trade offs. We want to save everyone and not shut down the economy or whatever. And, and I think the unfortunate thing is the U.S. consumer doesn't know what oil and gas does. And therefore, until it goes away and there is a crisis like there was in 2001 when we didn't think we had enough natural gas, then no one cares. We've also learned we're happy to lock down the U.S. to save American lives but we don't see the trickle on effect of the billion people who have had no food and starving and no healthcare and whatever in third world countries, who are also the ones who are going to be brought out of poverty through energy. Right. And so until the U.S. feels an incredible amount of pain and there's a humanitarian crisis that's built around a billion people starving with no electricity or civil war or whatever, I think it's just going to go this way. So companies need to shore up their balance sheet, do everything they can to mitigate Um, hope they're not on federal land and that Biden sees that the trade-offs are real, lobby the government to understand that the wind is not always blowing and and sun is not always shining. But that doesn't mean we don't like it. Mm -hmm. It's just that you need a backup energy grid and natural gas is the solution. And cars need 20 million, we consume 20 million barrels a day of crude in the US. 14 million of that is in transportation. And if we take 14 million barrels a day of oil off the grid because we go to electric, that means we need 14 million barrels of oil equivalent in electric generation, which can't all be wind and solar. So um, I, I, it's just a bad news story. And it's why I'm short EPs. I've been short for a long time. A day like today is extraordinarily painful because oil jumps 10% and Exxon jumps 15%. So you get crushed. But the core is. The business doesn't work at forty. I don't see a catalyst to make it above forty, and there's enough headwinds in the U.S. that I just don't see a business model for the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, and uh, final thing is, um, just from my perspective, I agree with everything you say there. And if you look at the median, and this is one thing I try to point to people: if you look at the median in, in uh, China, has four hundred million as their middle class, four hundred million, which is larger than our entire population of the Great United States. They have four hundred million in their middle class. The low end of their median income is thirty five hundred U.S. dollars per year. That's the low end of their middle class. So if you think that oil and gas is going away, um, barring some miracle technology, it's not. And people, we, we've got to learn how to message what it is we do and how it how it just cannot go away. It just, it just, it just can't unless something miraculous happens and that's not happening. Uh, what, do you, what do you say about hope or you ha- how your saying go?
2: Hope is not a plan.
1: Hope is not a plan. So unless you're hoping for it to go away and that's not going to happen, China, Pakistan, India, uh, there's 4 billion people um, across the globe who need, uh, who, whose per capita demand will go up exponentially. Um, it's not a it's not something going away. So we, we've got to learn how to message it um, because it's only the demand. It will only eventually get uh, up into the right. Um, so let's talk about where people can find you. You're on Twitter. Um, you're on, you have your website. Uh, and I've seen you talk parlor some. I don't know if you're there much or not. Um, so we're on, on parlor. What do you think of parlor? I'll ask you, I'll, I'll turn the tables i think it sucks (laughs) i try to get on there and post and i I, I, every now and then i'll kind of get there i post a little bit but i just it just seems too clunky it feels like it's geared towards the big names because their stuff seems to work pretty well they seem to get followers pretty easy um it seems it seems pretty clunky i don't know i I have a hard time getting involved in conversations um twitter for all of its you know it's left-leaningness um you know it does a good job of showing me uh like the other day i think it was you and Ellen were talking about numbers or something and and it popped up my feed and I saw that. And that's actually got the book somewhere. I don't know if you, did you you get that book? I I recommended the, uh, the numbers book. I have not got it yet. Oh, you didn't get that. That A lot of books lately. So that guy real quick, he talks about why the lines of Disney Disney world are always long and how they try to solve the problem. So it goes through problems like that. It's it's quite fascinating, but anyways, so I think Twitter's fundamentally a better platform, um, despite its censorship. So I don't know what you think about it.
2: I mean, I I agree. I think, you know, it's all in the social dilemma and and on the Joe Rogan podcast, he was talking with Tristan Walls, I think is the last name, who's the guy that sort of was backing that movie. Mm -hmm. And um, whether you're on Twitter or not, you're influenced by it because everyone else is on it. Yes. And whether you're on Instagram or not, you're influenced by it. So to me, I think regulating these large platforms as a utility because it's how people get their news and it's how it's the way the world is right now, I think is extremely important rather than building a new system because Parler might be the short-term answer, but long-term it's gonna do the same things as everyone else because they fundamentally sell advertising because it's a free platform for us. So if you're not paying for the product, you are the product.
1: Yeah, I I will say years ago, Josh and I had a conversation about people moving more to kind of sideload stuff. And one thing I like about my newsletter is the Substack. So if I send out a newsletter, Someone can email me back directly, or I can open up the comments, but it's, it, it, I've the comments, everyone can see it. But if you email me directly, you can kind of have this one on one conversation. Whereas, you know, on Twitter, everyone in the world can kind of see what you're saying. And so I think you will see maybe Twitter can add the functionality. I don't know. Um, obviously, have the DMs, but I think we're going to see, had to see some shift where you can, you can say something, you know, whether it's uh, offensive or not, but you might be offensive to your boss, where it can be protected at some level um, on social media. And I think that's why um kind of the, some of these other platforms do kind of have that 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 kind of surging because you feel like you're a little, a little bit more safe there it's going to be an interesting
2: next 60 days and then it will be i mean man but you, you, all you can say is that it's it, if this vaccine truly works to the level that it says even if it doesn't work even half as well it's material that we can get back to solving the problems of main street america and that we're not talking about COVID and we're not talking about masks and we're getting on with the business of figuring out who's hurting, what programs need to be implemented and get on to 2022.
1: Okay. All right. Where can folks find you? So we were saying hottake of the
2: day.com. Uh, day of the day.com. Um, you can follow me at Twitter at, at David Ramston Woo because I, my name is too long. That's 10 right? 10 uh, and hopefully we will get me back on LinkedIn. And should I get back on LinkedIn,
1: uh that would be really really excellent so if you come back on linkedin how much fire are you going to drop the first day
2: (laughs) i mean the, the reality is although although my legal representation would ask me not to because of the effort to get back on but i think we're going to have the seven deadly sins of hot takes and we're going to be very 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 hot on the first seven um but i'm going to make sure i cite all of the facts or be very clear its opinion
1: Okay. Uh, well, DRW, thank you for hopping on. This was kind of short notice, and we kind of yeah. were all over the map. So, appreciate it. Best of luck to you. And, oh, your podcast. I've been listening to your podcast because you get elon on, obviously, who I host Energy Week with. That was a fantastic discussion, and so I've been going through listening to them. Really enjoyed that. We'll link to Hot Take of the Day podcast as well. I've uh, been enjoying those.
2: Great. Thanks. I appreciate it, and I love what you guys are doing, and I always like our chats, and I love the War Room uh, newsletters. I thought I learned a lot about the election from your travels,
1: so oh, welcome thanks. I appreciate that. We got to talk about your tax policy one day. Yeah. One day. <laughs> Take care, bud. Thanks, bye.
0: Thanks again to David joining us on the show today. Had a, had a great time with him. Lots of, uh, lots of coverage, Ron. It feels like it's been 10 years since the election. It's only <laughs> been a week. It's been the longest week. Is it
1: over? Is the election uh, actually over? It's
0: not technically over, but my God, it, it, just, was that was it Tuesday last week? Today's
1: yeah. Monday. Yeah, and been you say, six it, that's been like Ten years. <laughs> <Bad luck. laughs> Lord, it's you know. It, it, and let me just let me just. Uh, I know you probably agree with this, Josh. But one of the things that when you look at how life works is we have a liturgy to life. You know, so you know if you you know if you're going to church, if you go to work on Monday at eight a.m., if you're going to the gym or whatever it is. When you have those things in your life that are moving along um, at a regular pace and you do those things, life feels like it's moving fast. That's when I say, oh, my gosh, the time got away. If you look at those time periods, it's usually that you're just doing stuff, and it's kind of ordered out. Now, you could be extremely busy in those time periods, uh, and you could be working um, kind of above and beyond, but you still have this this kind of core foundational liturgy that's kind of um, there. With the election, it feels like, People might have kind of had their their routine, their liturgy, if they will, but they were kind of they're kind of stuck with waiting for the election, which makes it feel like it kind of drug on. The longest months of my life were, you know, April and May because you know work wasn't regular, you couldn't go out to eat, you know, nothing was regular, so it drug on because you didn't have that systematic pattern to kind of get you from A to B to C. So I think that's why I felt like it kind of drug on because. Your life was kind of going on, but you had this thing that you've been waiting on to be resolved on November 3rd and you just kind of just let it sit there. And so, I don't know. That, that's kind of my thoughts on why it, it feel like it took so long.
0: Well, this, this, uh, this past week, it was like so much seems like it's in limbo with, uh, all the censoring is going on. Like David mentioned on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, um, the questions of energy policy and all sorts of things. It just felt like there was so much, uh, on the line with this presidential election and uh, there just wasn't any closure really still, still not for a lot of folks. Uh, you know, the, the question of whether Trump's going to bow out or is he going to continue to fight it? So we have all these questions that are, that are still rumbling on that um, yeah. bring a little bit of uncertainty.
1: Why don't we, get, we got wrap up here in a second, but actually this, I, uh, I've looked at it and I'm not saying that the Trump administration can't showcase something in court, but, I mean, so they'd have to – they they would have to showcase Pennsylvania and Georgia, and they'd still lose, right? So it had to be Pennsylvania, Georgia, and then one other state. So – or they'd have – yeah, Pennsylvania and Georgia, they had to get those back. So in my prediction, the reason I know the math is because I had 269, 269, and that included getting all of Nebraska's electoral votes for Trump, which he, which they didn't. Um, so it'd be one more for Biden. So if they got Pennsylvania and Georgia back, he would he would lose by one electoral vote, 270 to 268. It's two, but the way math works one. Um, so um so he has to get three three states to overturn their votes, and that does does not seem probable. Um, I've looked at some of these claims. I'm not saying that, that I've I've got it all figured out, but most of the claims I've seen there is some voter fraud that's happened. Those are pretty insignificant cases. Uh, the more large-scale, systematic stuff, I haven't seen much proof on. I don't see how Trump has a path here, barring some kind of constitutional argument that I'm not, I'm not aware of or something like that. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, one thing I've, I've seen, so uh, there is uh well, I, I forget the name of the – is it Dominion, the uh, voting so like
1: machine? on, like on that, I've seen a link, Michigan's saying that that's not even what happened. According to the Michigan State's website, they're saying that that's not even – that's not even true either.
0: Yeah. Well, so there's, there's questions. I've seen some questions about that. So there's three things. Dominion mm-hmm. is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's questions about that and who owns it. I think Feinstein and, and other people were, or have mm-hmm. a certain mm-hmm. amount of interest in it. So there's people that, that raised some, some yeah. questions. Second was uh constitutionally. Can they count ballots after they come in? That's not,
1: that seems to be, I don't, okay. So what's the argument there? Cause I know Trump doesn't want it, but you know, absentee ballots or military ballots they've counted post-election i'm almost positive um and i don't know i, I don't understand, understand, that. I, don't understand yeah, I, I
0: don't fully understand the laws there are people that are saying that i think i think they have to be post-dated so i think that the, if you have to ship yeah so if if the if the ballot comes in later but the date on the ballot was right you can count it after the election but mm-hmm. you can't count one that's received after election unless it's postdated right. before a certain day.
1: But now that but Trump's saying that you he don't want those counted either. Or he was the other day at least. I don't know if he still is. Well got-
0: so, so there's there's so reports out that um, they they got they brought in a bunch of them that were that were sent in late. And I don't mean received late, I mean sent late.
1: Yeah.
0: And if that's the case, then those are constitutionally, you sure. can't, you're not supposed to count them. So there's, there's that too. And then three, uh, there was a, a report of, um, Nevada, uh, a bunch of people have moved, that have voted there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For based on what I've seen, I think it was like 3000 people. It's not enough to swing anything. And I'm not even sure it's not legitimate because, um, you know, my wife, uh, she could have voted in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Right. If, and even though she moved. So she hasn't registered here yet. So there's no problem with that. So I, I don't I don't know that that's very convincing. But those are the three things that I've seen. And I mean, if you even if even if even if they were people that lived in California, registered, voted in California, but maintained their Nevada um, registration uh, and voted there, they could have double voted, which would have been wrong. But still, it's not going to change the outcome.
1: Yeah, so on the Dominion thing, I I did see, and it doesn't mean this is over, but I did see Michigan come out and say, I think it was Michigan, um, that the 6,000 votes that were there weren't actually from the Dominion product, they were from something else. Now, does not mean it's something else? And I'm not saying that there's not something there, just to be clear. I'm saying that some of the stuff I looked into um, just doesn't seem to have a lot of legs, but – yeah, on the constitutionality of the of the ballots, not lawyers, I have no idea. Some lawyer can email in. I did see Kaylee McEnany the other day on Fox, I think it was. And they were asking her about ballots that were received postmarked on the third, but received after. Did the president want them counted? And she never gave the answer. Yes, we want those counted. We she, she never distinguished it like you did. She purposely ignored the question, which makes me believe that they're trying to get those postmarked November third ballots not counted either because she would just it was, it was a simple answer saying, yeah, well if they were you know postmarked November third, and of course she wouldn't answer that so i I haven't looked at all the cases, I don't know, but anyways, so um hopefully hopefully we'll get this resolved. I predicted it would be done by december um and we are November 9th so got a few days before we <laughs> get this resolved um uh, but anyways josh um I guess that's I guess that's it for today, so um nothing else. Stephanie, the intern was back. She sent in some articles, but you know, Stephanie, you took off two weeks, so we we just you know we just we moved on without you. So maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll look at your stuff next week. I mean I don't you know kind of a little, little little hazing there. So anything else, Josh? No, I think that's it, man. Okay, so check out the show notes. We will link to um DRW stuff, we'll link to the war room stuff where he, where he came on and um we'll link to there's something else I'm supposed to link to. Oh the, the show round table. And until next time, keep climbing.